Hi, my name's Shelley Flett. Welcome to the Dynamic Leader Podcast, where I share insights, experiences, successes, and failures with leaders from across a broad range of industries and business structures. I maintain that each of us needs to be open to sharing our experiences and making the leadership playground safe enough to fail, to grow, to have fun, and ultimately become more dynamic. So please sit back and enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another Dynamic Leader Conversation. So today what we're talking about is setting and enforcing boundaries and being able to manage our own energy level in relation to that. Uh, A lot of people find it really hard to say no. A lot of us overshare. Where's the balance? What does that actually look like? So today's conversation isn't necessarily going to give you all the answers, but hopefully it'll enlighten you and give you some different ways of thinking about things. So today's guest is Julie Bornkoff, who is the current CEO at Panda, which is a perinatal anxiety and depression Australia organization. And they do an amazing job. They've, um, they've, I'm sure, no doubt, have impacted so many lives and, and so many um, people have um, come out the other side with great things to say. So um, Julie is not only the CEO, but she's also a clinical psychologist. So I'm tipping she knows a little bit about a lot. So thank you so much for joining me, Julie. <laughs> no pressure. Thanks, Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> So, so tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, your experience with um, within the leadership space, because this is a leadership conversation. And I find that it's often leaders that really struggle the most with, with boundaries. Um, but so thinking about, you know, leadership in general, what's your journey been like? It's been one that hasn't had boundaries, I guess, first and foremost. You know, when I reflect on how I got to the position I got to and, you know, it's never been one that I was consciously mindful of, you know, I want to be a CEO, you know, that that was never where I set my my frame of reference. Um, I just, well, I mean, in many ways was probably really bad at saying no and closing doors and kind of said, yeah, why not? I'll give it a go, you know, and step through doorways and stepped through doorways and stepped through doorways um, that's led me to be in this position. And also, you know, testing my own boundaries and thinking, yeah, no, I couldn't do that. I'm not smart enough for that. Or, you know, I'm not astute enough or able to play in that space. And therefore, you know, I don't think I should. And then the other side of that for me is always this voice that says, really, let's test that. So again, you know, a bit of a boundary testing conversation, but, um, you know, I I would definitely frame this conversation as I don't think I'm good at the boundary stuff, but I actually think that's okay because I'm really mindful of that. Um, But yeah, it's, it's a position I'm in, which I love because I think leading is a real privilege. And when I talk about leading, it's not walking in front of people, it's really walking beside people um, and being the custodian of a space where you get to help people thrive and be their best. So it's one I love, but I didn't consciously set my sights on it. Yeah, absolutely. So how how do you define boundaries? Because I often think that we think about boundaries differently. So is there a difference between leadership boundaries and personal boundaries? And what is a boundary for you? It's a good question. Uh, You know, I mean, for me, 
<laughs> I've always been a bit naughty in the black sheep of my family and I always think of boundaries in the same way I do any rule that I've ever been set, you know, either by somebody or set myself. And again, there's spaces in which I challenge myself or challenge the, the boundary setter or the rule setter. I mean, um, you know, I, I think that boundaries, when I speak clinically about them, are spaces in which we need to know that there's risk associated with overstepping something, you know, and when you talk about um, whether it's a psychological boundary or a um, existential boundary or an actual boundary, it's about knowing where the edge is because risk, risk is inherent in stepping over that. And that's not always because uh, you will get hurt. It's because, you know, that you could enter a new space or you could learn something you're not ready to learn or, you know, there's a whole lot of things associated with it. So for me, I think boundaries are kind of... Uh, a um, mystical and misty uh, line uh, that are there to sometimes be tested, sometimes to be danced over and a lot of the time to be mindful of that you have come up against it or stepped over it or left it in your wake. <laughs> yeah, there definitely there's definitely nothing black and white about it. It's a whole lot of a whole lot of gray. From a from a leadership and with the leaders that you've worked with over you know your your career, where do you see leaders uh, not having strong enough boundaries for themselves? And then what I see is that they have an expectation that if I'm not enforcing my boundary, then my expectation is you don't either. Yeah, I mean, I've always been in awe of leaders that sit in the many different camps around boundaries. Like I, I'm, I'm still in awe and, you know, have people in mind, as I say this now, of people that have really strong boundaries and uh, in some way constantly manage to assert them you know, and they clock off at the right time and they don't answer emails after hours and you never hear from them on the weekends even though they're themselves in, you know, leadership roles and things. But it's funny because when I reflect on those and think how is that possible, I could never do that because part of me needs to be mindful of the many hats I juggle even when I'm not wearing one. Um, I think that sometimes those that rigidity comes with a, a certain level of fear and loss of control. And um, so I think, you know, for whatever reason we put in place boundaries and, and for the leaders I know, there's always a flip side or a, a pro or a con to having those boundaries in place. So I've never really looked at somebody and gone, they've got the best boundaries. I think the people that I admire the most when it comes to their management of boundaries or their awareness of boundaries are those that reflect on them actively and can either say I've overstepped a boundary or I'm not good right now at managing my boundaries or, you know, um, I'm expecting something of myself but I'm and I don't want my team to feel like they then have to work to that same boundary, uh, you know, lack of. Um, so I think that's probably the most. Look, I think, you know, it's real. Boundaries are hard in leadership. Because, you know, especially for women too, I think, you know, we juggle so many roles and many women in leadership have this failure schema, you know, where we just wait for the day that somebody says, you know, how did you get there? You're not really meant to be sitting in that seat, are you? <laughs> you know, so 
we kind of want to be preemptive and ready for that, but also doing enough to feel like we're not going to fail. Yeah, that's so true. And this, um, you know, fear of being caught out as a fraud or we're not really supposed to avert this. It's it's so fascinating. And one of the things that I do find in females, uh, not um, not only, but more prominent in females is an overshare around why. So this constant justification of, you know, why I'm not going to get this to you on time or why I'm not attending this meeting or why I'm only doing nine hours today instead of 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some of the work that I do with leaders is around setting boundaries just in what they're sharing. And yeah. sure, it's fine if you want to share your reasons, but just be really clear on, why you're doing it and that it's not a justification because I think yeah the justification can be quite limiting yeah I I agree and it can flip the other way in that you're not just talking about why you're not doing it but why you're doing so much you know and I I know myself I'm susceptible to saying to my team I'm you know I I worked till 10 o'clock last night and you saw those emails because I had some time with my nine-year-old and made sure that she was stable in the morning so I was making up that time you know in my mind because I had to get something done and they were like yeah Julie that's fine you know (laughs) but it's the same thing you're justifying it when you're over you know or working into a space you feel you shouldn't and do you think that we're doing that because of that fear of being called out on something that probably doesn't even exist I think, yeah, most definitely in part, but I also think it's about wanting to, you know, for those of us who care, you want to be equitable, you know, you want to be seen to help carry the load and, you know, I don't necessarily think it is just about the words themselves. It's actually that, that, you know, for most of us in business, especially coming out of a COVID space, you know, it's, there's been a really heavy weight to bear as leaders across every part of the industry and every, you know, different kind of role you could be in. And I think that, you know, we've all had to muck in. And that's what's been most fascinating for me as a leader is, you know, really seeing um, leadership across many different domains and industry come together and work together or share together or, um, you know, and that's something I, I really love. But I do think that there's something about equity in it and, you know, being not just being seen to but feeling you are sharing a load and and knowing that we've expected so much diversification of thinking and skill set and approach from our staff that, you know, you want to be seen as a part of that. So is it about being intentional behind you know when and where you're doing that for you know if it's for the purpose of equity if it's for the purpose of building relationships and developing that culture over I'm doing this because I I feel like I'm not enough and I feel like I need to be doing more it's a very conscious decision isn't it Mm, most definitely and I, I and I think that you know there's a warp and a weft to everything as I talk about you know like fabric you know, that the stronger we are in terms of the way that we work or our values or our nature or the person we want to be, the richer our story is, both current, past and future, um, the the stronger we need to define the warp warp and the weft that holds the fabric of ourselves together. And I think that those things all work in unison and sometimes you're dependent on your warp and sometimes you're dependent on your weft. So, um yeah, I think that it is a very conscious thing in terms of how you're perceived, but also how you're acting, 
you know, and how you are yourself feeling about it as a conscious leader and an authentic leader as I try to be. Mm. I love that metaphor. That's brilliant. I've never heard that one before. So, <laughs> Textile artist in a past life. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask about where the association came from. <laughs> Fabulous. So, you know, thinking about the, the post-COVID environment or the, you know, still COVID environment, um, I've seen a lot of leaders burn out because of this um, almost unstated expectation around how much they will support. And I've seen, so I've seen it, it's been interesting. I've seen an equal number of leaders who have really embraced the um, hybrid environment and, you know, the virtual environment, let their team go and been in service to them. So I've empowered them and said, you know, whenever you need me, you come to me. And then I've seen others who have had some really good structures in place, but because the environment has changed from face-to-face to virtual have almost just thrown their boundaries out the window and they're working really long hours and they're checking in more on people and they're offering to do things that they really shouldn't be doing that actually probably disempower their people. Are you seeing that as well? Yeah, most definitely. You know, and I, I say that, you know, I mean, I spent the majority of last year working in my bedroom so as a leader, I, you know, I would wake up in the morning, I would get my daughter ready for school, I would get her off to school, whether that was me pretending to teach her whilst doing other things in another room, or, you know, I, I would then turn on my computer in my bedroom. And I would then meet all day and do my work with a visual of my bed in the background. And then I would, at the end of the day, turn off my computer I would make dinner, sit with my family, and then I would walk back past my computer to go to bed, you know, and quite often I would have this moment of I did turn my computer off, didn't I? My webcam's not still on, not for any reason other than, oh, my God, it's going to record me while I sleep, you know. like I mean, there, there has never been a more surreal kind of shifting of the, the work-life paradigm to that, you know, and I actually got toward the end of that period and I've moved house now and I now have my own spare study you know spare room study but uh, you know I had people at the end of that and people quite high up in government and different parts of the sector saying to me oh can you put a background up and I was like no if I have to work in my bedroom you can deal with it this is who I am this is where I am you know like why why Right. You know, I just found that fascinating. People got sick of seeing people in their environments, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I, I think for many the flexibility and the change that COVID's brought about has allowed us to, to challenge some of the unknowns in business, you know. Uh, and, I mean, I... I would preface this with I came into this current organisation a few months before COVID hit, you know. Um, so I had lots of questions around why the organisation had been built to work the way it worked, both mm-hmm. environmentally, systemically, staffing structure and all of those things. Um, and, you know, then COVID hit and 
it was the great disruptor. You know, we were doing things that staff said could never be done. In two weeks, we were off-site working virtually, you know, delivering a national helpline from people's bedrooms and, you know, all corners of it, uh, you know, Australia, uh, which when I asked why are we based in this office in Victoria and why can't we recruit people from, you know, like, I mean, it, it was amazing. And now I have a fear of going back because I don't, I know how quickly in business things slip back, you know, and the, the, the primary and secondary gains that I think will resonate onward in terms of change management are just so great. I, I fear us going back, you know, and losing that, especially in a space where we don't have the time to truly reflect and learn from where we've been and mm. how that can frame where we go. Yeah, it's so interesting that we move on quite quickly and we try to then, um, I don't know what you think, I think a lot of it is this sense of control is that we can better control what we can see and what we're closer to. Um, and I think part of, you know, um, setting and managing your boundaries is it'll be okay if we're not in the same room. You yeah. have to trust the process. You have to trust me you have to trust that we've, we're on the right path and our communication. And so, you know, boundaries are so much more than just enforcing what I won't do. It's also about um, encouraging or, or giving the comfort and reassurance to someone who's, who's a little bit scared, as you mentioned before. Yeah. And trust is the key word, you know. I mean, trust is, you know, fundamental here. And I have this conversation with my mum and my dad quite often who, you know, are retired and they say, well, you know, when are you going back? How do you trust your staff? They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I just say, because I have to and because I want to, you know. I want to trust that people are committed to delivering what we deliver um, and that becomes their compass, not me standing in the doorway, mm. you know, in the office. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to back that up with really solid, open, two-way, regular communication, which I don't know about you, but I've noticed we're not great at. <laughs> and, you know, let's face it, we were really great at the beginning of COVID. There was every opportunity there to the point that staff, I think, were just saying, oh, too much communication. <laughs> I'd like to get some work done now. <laughs> so, you know, finding that balance again, which I don't necessarily believe in a balance concept when it comes to work life and all of those things, you know. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. So if I can change just views slightly or angles slightly, you, I'm really curious about how important boundaries are for um males in particular when wanting to contribute more as parents in their environment because this is obviously something that you've got exposure to is this um feeling or you know sometimes it's even stated um that their role is not necessarily to be a parent a, a primary caregiver um how important is it for males to be able to set their boundaries around you know i'm finishing at four i'm i'm gonna cook my kids dinner i'm gonna read them stories and bath time and all of this kind of thing um yeah how, how important is that oh look i think it's fundamental and you know like anything 
I believe identity is one that you have to fight for and you have to consciously choose to slip on like a coat, you know, and uh, you have to have the time to test it out and become comfortable with it and you have to have time to, you know, uh, to kind of ruffle it and, you know, have conflict with it as well. And I think that if we don't give any individual the space to take on a role, they're never going to be seen to succeed in it. They're never going to develop a sense of confidence with it and they're never going to want to wear it ongoing. So, you know, I mean, fundamentally, I, I think, and, you know, I've heard it on the helpline, I've had conversations with both leaders and men as a result of my job at Panda, you know, who have spoken about how difficult working from home was during COVID as a professional where they were exposed to a home life and a routine that they may not have ever been exposed to before and they felt powerless yeah. and they had to, uh, you know, orchestrate a day-to-day -day work role in a home environment, seeing a home life go on, wanting to be a part of that and not knowing what their place was in it. And or how to have that conversation. Well, exactly, you know, and, and most of us will not stop and make the time for a conversation or make it important enough to have that conversation if we don't feel confident with the content, yeah? Mm -hmm. So, therefore, I'll wait till the right time is the mindset that most of us bring to that and the right time never comes. Um, so, you know, I think for men, you know, finding a space to be all of the things they need to be and being given the time to wear it, feel it, react to it mm. get comfortable with it is really hard mm. but it is for many women as well you know I'm a I'm a mum who went back to work after three months who you know left my child with my husband who became the primary carer and felt like that would intrinsically damage my relationship with my daughter and and expected to never have such a close relationship with her because I couldn't be that primary carer you know but yeah. I learned I to be in that space and I have an amazing relationship. It's fascinating the um, and you know a lot, I think a lot of being able to um, set our own boundaries comes from what are the generalizations that are being made about me and my role and you know my identity and how do I as you mentioned before push up against that knowing that there's a risk that I will be perceived in a, in a certain way that may not, or that I'll believe in something that may not necessarily be true, like the relationship that I have with one of my children. It's such an interesting dynamic because I think about, um, you know, when I, I also only left the workplace for three months, um, my husband was equally as bad at parenting full-time as I was. And so, you know, we, the kids experienced daycare and they, the, the daycare center ended up being part of our extended family and um, did an amazing job. And, you know, I never once considered that I wouldn't have a close relationship with my kids. I always saw that I would be living my life in parallel to them and not ever for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's really interesting on how we pick up things and what we make sense of it. And and I also think that part of it was um, this mismatch tendency that I have that if someone says that it's blue, I'm like, well, I'm going to prove to you it's not. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, completely. And just how, you know, the cultural beliefs and values we have around what it is to be a mum or what it is to be a CEO or, you know, any of those sort of things really disrupt and disable us so often, you know, and and do become a part of, you know, now I've kind of learned to embrace those, you know, misguided values that aren't necessarily my own but have been pumped into me. Um, and, yeah, I'll take take ownership of, you know, having, having held them for a while, but I think they become part of the check and balance, which is really powerful and stop you from taking things for granted, you know, and make sure you can be the best you can be for yourself and for your team and for your organisation and your board and whomever else. Mm. so as a as a leader of leaders do you work with your team on you know what's important right now what are you not getting where are you feeling a little bit compromised or that you're not you know living to your true potential or true self um do you help them establish and then kind of enforce their own boundaries within their space yeah, look, most definitely. I, I would say that I'm not somebody who has a formula. You know, I mean, I'm a divergent creative thinker. I'm not good with rules. I've said that before. <laughs> um, you know, I think my, my skill set is more around rating people and being open to ha have whatever conversation needs to be had. Although, you know, like many, I don't like high conflict uh, situations, but I'll always go there and know that I can repair whatever comes from that conversation or, or have trust that I can for both myself and the other participant. Um, but I think, you know, for me, it's about watching and tracking people's visual cues, you know, when we're remote and on cameras. It's also about listening to language and watching how they interact with each other. So, you know, for our my team at the moment, my leadership teammates uh, has met up until last week for one hour every day at lunchtime. Um, and that was a space initially to just have a bit of an anchor in the day where we could check in we could raise issues we could bring up any staffing concerns or you know that as we adjust to uh, working from home and it became really fundamental to allow the team to learn more from each other and how each other works and you know I mean sometimes that time's been used really powerfully sometimes it's been used really poorly but ultimately in every meeting there's been something to watch and learn you know and it's often watching my team work together or talk together or how they don't, you know, in those moments, whether it's, you know, somebody's typing while the somebody's talking and then, you know, eye movement and stuff that you really do see how they're relating to each other. Um, but I think, you know, I'm a believer and always have said this clinically and within my own relationships, if you, if you see it, call it, you know, there's never a right time and I think that we wait for the right time to have conversations, you know. And that then becomes interesting when you're talking about staff development and team development and performance review processes and, you know, we're currently looking at disrupting, you know, annual performance reviews for a more iterative, ongoing, you know, uh, performance conversation, but it's got to be a complementary smorgasbord of things that you provide support and access to for your staff. So mm -hmm. yeah. I don't long answer don't have a formal model of how I open up those conversations or check in with stuff but I do it as I see it I like that and I think the flip side of doing it um, as you see it is that you stack it as you see it and then you hold it and then you know it's got to go somewhere it's got to come out yeah 
and giving your staff the power to do it back. Yeah. You know, I think as a leader, I've seen it all too often that, you know, people fight and I have fought in my career to be able to call people on stuff in a positive way. Um, and then when you've tried to do it back, been really, you know, either chastised or validated when that's such a powerful conversation to have. And, you know, for my staff to be able to self-care for me or, you know, reflect self-caring to me or to be able to check in on me and feel that they're able to nurture up as well is so important, you know, that that stuff makes them feel as though they are an intrinsic part of your leadership team and that they have voice and they have validity and what they see they trust, you know. So I think it's unidirectional as well. Absolutely. So powerful. Do you know, I'm going to totally go off track, but I'm watching this Netflix episode, Netflix series at the moment called New Amsterdam. It's been, a, been out for a little while. Uh, but I'm fascinated by the dynamic between, you know, the medical director and his staff and the staff within that. And I think I like it so much because I'm, I'm really enjoying the dynamic and this, as you're talking about, you know, this uni unilateral communication feedback that if it's good for me, it's good for everyone. And I think that's something that's really powerful for leaders is, I think if you're not going to set boundaries, then you can expect that your staff won't set boundaries either um, around the things that matter, the things that are going to be the difference between them succeeding and failing. And I think that equally where a leader does set up boundaries, that they allow others to also do that and to, you know, to give that feedback and to call it when it's being violated or, or crossed. Yeah. And look, I think, you know, in, in my career and my experience, and if you talk to many people, you know, they'll say, oh, Julie was the one that said we shouldn't do psychometric testing, or Julie was the one who said we shouldn't do, you know, one model of work plan development for an organisation or strategic planning to one format or whatever. And I think, you know, people think and work so differently um, that, you know, I completely agree. You need, the boundary is that you, give people an, a threshold expectation that, you know, a baseline requirement and that you yourself have to also have a baseline requirement of them but also of yourself and how you feed into that. Mm. But then let it go, you know, and let people find their own format or the own way of working because I think ultimately, you know, people think so differently. You know, I'll never forget a lecture I had when I was studying psych and somebody spoke about the many different ways people see the same colour. You know, something as simple as the colour blue and how many different shades. And it showed this film of testing people across shades and everybody swore they saw the same colour, but we all saw it completely differently. So, you know, how do we then ask everyone to use the same approach or, you know, manage the same way or I just think it really uh, resonated with me. We, we are so unique. Mm. And I think that, you know, the future of leadership is that we still have people leading people and not machines leading people for the simple fact that um, it is so complex and there's just so many different variants and we're not seeing the same thing and hearing the same thing. We're probably not even talking about the same thing right now, which is a little bit scary. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, the, the future of leadership is 
uh, and I think leaders that will succeed are those that can really understand that and they can build their awareness around where where are our differences causing friction that is not helpful for us, not helping to move us forward, and then how can we have the conversation and open dialogue to to get through that? And, you know, giving people the safe space, which does have boundaries Hmm. and needs to have boundaries, but the boundaries can look and feel a whole lot of different ways. You know, I mean, leadership is most definitely about that. It's about, you know, for me, leadership is about letting people see who you are as an individual, letting them feel like they can get close to that. Like I, I value people feeling they can get close to me as a leader and understand me as a person behind the lead role I do mm-hmm. um, and that they trust my values and my purpose, you know, and that they want to work with and for that mm. you know, and that they will feel safe in that space is just so important. So important. I love that. And I think uh, that's probably a good note to end on. Do you have any, you know, final, I'm thinking quotes or things that kind of pop up for you that you think would be helpful for leaders to kind of hold on to? Because one of the ones that I think about when we, you know, talk about boundaries is um, I heard between a conversation with Brene Brown and Elizabeth Lesser, and they were talking about this Um, ability to have a strong back but a soft front and essentially what she said is um, take no shit but do no harm and I found that super powerful because I'm like well that kind of describes boundaries is you know make sure you know what you stand for and you you call behavior as you see it Um, but don't do that at the expense of someone else's um, health and well-being um, so that's that's one that I love and I yeah. refer to it quite regularly. Do you have anything like that? And sorry to put you on the spot. No, no. I mean, you know, kind of riffing off and adding to what you were just saying. You know, I think my my uh, biggest, I think, guiding light, you know, is that kind of concept of near enough is good enough, you know, and I just think it's fundamental, you know, and that kind of acceptance of, every moment is just an accumulation of moments, you know. And, I mean, I, I have a arm uh, on my wrist because it's very much about accepting all that was, all that is and all that shall be and not fighting with it because the minute you fight in it, you augment it artificially, um, you know. So I think near enough's good enough. You know, you're, you're playing with so many un, uncontrollable dynamics when you are a leader. And you've kind of just got to understand that you will only ever control 20% of it in that moment. And then in the next moment it's changed and there's another 20%. So near enough is good enough, you know. You stay with the intent of being authentic and and building a a culture of trust around yourself and others. That is fabulous. Um, It's one that I use um, when it comes to, you know, cleaning my house and order. (laughs) Near enough is good enough. Um, And I'm okay with that. I think it's, you know. It applies in any setting, <laughs> cooking, parenting, <laughs> intimate partner relationship, anything, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining me for a conversation today, Julie. I, I really appreciate, you know, your input. I think that you're an amazingly resourceful leader yourself and one to admire. So I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Shelley. It's been a pleasure. Excellent. So for anyone who wants to connect with Julie, I will put her LinkedIn uh, 
link connection in the comments. Um, and I look forward to having another dynamic conversation with you very soon. See ya. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Dynamic Leader. There is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy, to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.